Hi, everybody, and thank you very much for checking out Telich Talks. My guest today on the podcast is Dean Hall. Dean Hall is a life coach based in the Pacific Northwest. And about nine years ago, Dean Hall was just dealing with a horrific physical situation. He was still in grief over the loss of his wife about two or three years previous. And he was dealing with leukemia and lymphoma. And he was at wit's end. And it was time, at least in his mind, for some kind of a Hail Mary. And what the Hail Mary turned out to be was an amazing physical accomplishment, swimming the entire length of the Willamette River in the Pacific Northwest. That's 187 miles, cold water, but he was in it each and every day with his 79-year-old father in the kayak beside him. And what happened after he was able to do that swim What happened to him physically, emotionally, all of those types of things is a remarkable story. And that is what we're going to do today on the pod. Talk with Dean. In fact, his email even alludes to the fact that he loves to swim. So ladies and gentlemen, hope you enjoy our conversation. This is Dean Hall, Swimming for Your Life. So excited to bring in Dean this afternoon. Dean, what you did, your accomplishment on uh, swimming the entire length of the, and it's pronounced Willamette, right? Willamette. Willamette. I'm sorry. Rhymes with damn it. (laughs) (laughs) You swam the entire length of the Willamette River up in the Pacific Northwest, and that was out of so much frustration, I imagine, for you because you were going through Explain to our listeners what uh, uh, lymphoma, leukemia, you had a lot of things that you were dealing with back then. Yeah, I did. I I was actually dying of leukemia and lymphoma in August of 2013. And mostly, I believe, I believe, John, there are two ways we can trap cancer. One is you're just poisoned. Uh, You're in the wrong place at the wrong time or eating the wrong thing. Something happens and you're just poisoned. That's what happened to my wife, uh, and she died of a brain tumor 15 days before our 30th anniversary. That spiraled me into just abject despair and grief. And so I think the other form of cancer, the other reason many of us contract it, is we're just holding on to too much, and it's too much for our bodies to handle, and our bodies start to break down. And that was my experience. I was just not accepting the fact that I lost this woman and uh, didn't know what to do with my life afterwards. And so I just spiraled for three years. I have a daughter at that time, she was 21 and just lost her mama. And I thought, man, this is entirely selfish to let this proceed the way it has. I've got to do something. And I've been a licensed clinical therapist now for 33 years. So at the time, about 25, and had helped many come back to life using Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And he was a psychiatrist in Austria, sadly, 
also Jewish, at the start of World War II, got taken to Auschwitz. And while he was there, he found by watching people that the more passionate you are and more greatly tied to a purpose, the greater strength and ability you have to overcome terrible odds. And for them, it was either live to see their loved ones or kill Nazis. <laughs> and so I knew that I had to have a purpose. Uh, I'd written a book and that had done well uh, shortly before my wife died. I didn't care about it at all. I had developed a speaking career. I, I couldn't even say my name without crying. I knew that wouldn't work out too well. I, I had built a thriving private practice, but I had to take a sabbatical because people would sit there and tell me about their problems. And secretly, most of the time, I'd think, that's nothing. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's not a great place, John, to be helping people from. And so I took a sabbatical there, moved back to Oregon, uh, where I grew up thinking that would help, not knowing that I was giving up all my adult friends and my community. And so I was all alone. And I just knew that my best chance was to have a purpose. And for weeks, I just couldn't find anything. And then I opened up. I thought, well, while I'm waiting for God or the universe to answer me, maybe I should... Uh, unpack and decorate this dark little duplex I was renting. I was renting for the first time in 30 years, John. I just, I just felt so, I felt like I'd lost everything. Yeah. And yeah. so I thought, well, while well, I'm waiting for an answer, I'd lived there six months and it looked like a frat house. I didn't even put my bed together. I was, I had a mattress on the floor. That's how, what bad shape I was in. And so I started unpacking one of the first boxes I unpacked were childhood things my mom wanted to get out of her house. And I found a journal I'd been forced to keep when I was in sixth grade. And if you'd have known me in sixth grade, I had to be forced to keep a journal. <laughs> and first page, it says, when I get old, I gotta climb Mount Everest, swim the English Channel. And when I read that, and even to this day, when I talk about it, John, I get goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps right now. Just a shot of electricity went through me. And for the first time in three years, I, I felt a bit of excitement. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd forgotten that kid because I grew up here in Oregon. Uh, both of my parents were mountain climbers. My mom got in the papers. I was just her birthday or uh we got together for a birthday a couple of weeks ago and uh, she was telling me that in 1954, she climbed the tallest mountain in Oregon with my father. Uh, she was a sophomore in college at the time and she was laughing. She said, yeah, it was so unusual for a woman to climb a mountain, much less the tallest one sure. that it made the papers. Huh. Uh, yeah. And so I grew up with these two very adventurous uh, outdoors people. And, and uh, I just 
grew up thinking that I would become a sponsored adventurer. Uh, we, like most American families in the 60s and 70s, had uh, a subscription to National Geographic. We did. And so I just, <laughs> I just pour through it and think, okay, I'm going to be that guy, you know, and, and I'd forgotten that kid because I got in high school and then it was all about college and where was I going to go and what was I going to do and how could I be responsible and, and just, you know, climbing mountains and going willy nilly didn't seem too responsible for our generation. So I'd forgotten that kid and it helped me recover a long lost part of myself. And immediately I thought, you know, I, I know my blood counts and my immune system so suppressed. I know I'm not going to be able to climb Everest or maybe even uh, handle a meal in Kathmandu, um, <laughs> but I can swim the channel. I don't know why I thought I could. Uh, and I got super excited about it. And so that's what led, it didn't come out of frustration. It came out of a desperate kind of Hail Mary last hope. Yeah. And so, and that's what I'm really curious about, Dean, was that you came up with this plan to swim 187 miles <laughs> in, 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 a, in, a, in a river, a cold river. Um, was part of your crazy plan that this would cure what was ailing me? Or was it more just the other side of your brain saying, I, for once in my life, am going to go for something that is so almost unattainable that it's going to make me the better man or the more adventurous individual? I More the latter than the former. I um, talked to my oncologist and I've got a really one of my best friends that had seen me through the death of my wife and my own cancer journey uh, because my first wife was a cute little, I went back to uh, Kansas to play soccer on a scholarship and met a cute little Kansas girl and told all my friends I'd put myself in, in exile for love. And so it, I was living in her small community of 12,000 for 30 years and became really, really close to one of the most gifted uh, doctors in that area. And he became just a best friend and he'd walked me through most of this. His name's Aaron Waters. He's on the KU Board of Medicine. I mean, this guy's got more degrees and more accolades than, than you'd ever want to know. And I called him up and I says, hey, Aaron, I finally got an idea of what I'm going to do. He's like, what's that? Team? I'm going to swim at first the English Channel. And he said, not only no, but hell no. He's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He's Because in 2012, uh, just a year earlier, I had tried to prove to my daughter that I was strong and I was coming back. And so I swam across a man-made lake in Oklahoma and not knowing that I, it was just a Petri dish of bacteria and uh, swam through blue-green algae and it went up my nose and uh, poor little, my daughter uh, had to take me to the emergency room room and I almost died I was in ICU for three days I was out for two they had to call my family they didn't think I was going to make it Holy in man. six days I lost 60 pounds because my temperature was so high 
Um, and my brain was so swollen that when I woke up, I couldn't read. Uh, and I woke up with lesions and blisters and scabs all over my whole body. Uh, I've got one friend, he said, you know, with everything that happened to you, Dean, once he heard that I woke up 60 pounds uh, lighter with scabs all over my body, it's like the only other person I've ever heard that happen to was Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, at least I, I didn't have a wife at that time to tell me to, you know, curse God and die. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was just a bad, bad thing. And he walked me through that time. Luckily, I came back. And he's like, you, are you kidding me? Get in a public pool. You could get viral meningitis or something again. I said, well, I'm not going to die sitting on a couch watching Wheel of Fortune. I got to go out doing something. If I'm going to go out, I want to go out swinging for the fence. And he said, okay, just promise me one thing. He's like, it's going to make you look super dorky. I'm like, I already do, Aaron. He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, he he said, wear a nose plug, because if you wear a nose plug, at least he said that membrane between your sinuses and your brain, uh, I didn't know it was so semi-permeable and so much could get through straight to the brain. He said, wear a nose plug, because at least that way, and he's like, rinse your mouth out uh, with hydrogen peroxide each time, really bathe well after each swim. He said, make sure you're not holding on to any bacteria because your immune system is shot. Yeah. And so I said, yeah, I, I can do those things. And so uh, I and so I got in the pool and I'd, I'd been a triathlete uh, in the 80s and 90s and done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of laps. And so I got in the pool and I kicked off the wall. And it was the first time in three years I felt like myself. I'm like, oh, I remember you. Yeah. And so every day I tried to do one more lap. And uh, by Thanksgiving, I was doing a mile or more. I had gained weight. My lymph nodes had gone down. My lymph nodes were so big, John, that uh, I couldn't really move my neck and they protruded from my jawline. And then I had one under my right arm. My oncologist lovingly called my hockey puck. Um, because it was the size and shape of occupant, couldn't really put down my right arm. And then I had 60 or 70 others throughout my body. My Under my clavicle, it felt like gravel. Um, it was just bad. But all those started going down because I didn't know much about the lymph system. Uh, the lymph system, are it's the filters uh, for your whole body drawing out all the bacteria and all the gunk. And those don't work and don't pump unless you're moving. I didn't know this. And so by moving so much, it got those pumps working. And that was kind of hard because I'd swim. And then in, for the rest of the day, sometimes into the next day, I feel like I had the flu because those pumps had worked. And there was so much junk and cancer right. in my body. I would detox, um, but I kept going. And by Christmas, I was up to um, the time I told you in August, I was down to 152 pounds. 
and I'm six one, and right now I weigh about two thirteen, okay. um, and still only have about twelve percent body fat. Um, so one hundred and fifty two. I mean, I've never been a pretty boy, John, but I was ugly with a capital UG. Spotting <laughs> you the U yeah. and the G. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I looked, I, I would have a running conversation between me and Victor Frankl. Yeah. Um, uh, because you know he influenced me so much to do this thing, and he'd actually made it through not only Auschwitz, but he was in Bergen-Belsen for a while. And I would say, okay, because I looked like I'd been through Auschwitz. You could see every rib, my arms. You could almost put your arm, your fingers around. Biggest thing on my arms and legs were my knees and elbows. And I'd never looked like that. You could see every bone in my pelvis. I mean, it was it was brutal. And so when I accidentally because I made a practice of never looking in the mirror. Um, but if I accidentally caught a glimpse of what I looked like, I'd be like, okay, Vic, you made it back. I'm going to make it back too. And so by Christmas, I was feeling good and my head was clearing and I got out of the pool and it hit me. Who cares if another middle-aged man puts on a Speedo and swims to France? It does the world no good. And in my case, it won't be a pretty picture. <laughs> so, so I thought, what? Because I had been a, a public school teacher for 20 years and then a therapist for 20. I My whole life had, my mission has always been to try to make the world a better, happier place. And so that was at my heart for doing this thing. Uh, I had decided somewhere during those endless line of laps uh, that my mission for doing this was to inspire other cancer patients to refuse to give up simply because they had a diagnosis. Yeah. And so I'm getting out of the pool right around Christmas and that thought hits me. And so I start asking, okay, what, what would do the world more good? What, what could I do? And in about three days, a memory hit me. In 1984, 30 years previous, I'd come out for a bicycle race and I'd done pretty well. Uh, and so my family threw a big celebration picnic right on the Willamette River. And I was born only four blocks from the Willamette. It's Oregon's longest river. Uh, a lot of us call it Mama River because it starts up in the mountains, which we all just love. And then it comes down through uh, our two major college towns, Eugene and Corvallis. And then it comes through our state capital. It feeds all of the Willamette uh, Valley, which is our rich farmland that really created our state. And now it's all vineyards, um, world-class vineyards. And then it comes through Portland, Oregon's biggest city and dumps into the mighty Columbia. So it's it's really an important resource and landmark in our state. And while I grew up, it was so polluted, it was just an oil slick. And, as a matter of fact, I remember in sixth grade, the big joke was, 
if Jesus would have walked across the water and it had been the Willamette, it wouldn't have been a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know something, not to cut you off here, yeah. uh, Dean, is, you know, the Cuyahoga River, which is uh, empties into uh, Lake Erie and runs right through Cuyahoga County right here in Cleveland, mm -hmm. Ohio. That did mm -hmm. catch fire more than 50 years ago. And that wow. was one of the first uh, events that kind of spawned the environmental movement that we know today. So we're kind of kindred spirits as far as yeah, yeah. concerned. But you went to the point where you enlisted the services of your father. Your father didn't <laughs> uh, uh, paddle alongside you in a kayak. What a, a great bonding experience. I've had that with my son when I've done ultra marathons. He's oh, paid you and your father. So we're now on the day that you start this. And this took more than yeah. 20 days, right? How does sure. how long did it took take? 22 days. 22 days. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. What was yeah. that like? And and how life affirming was it for you with each stroke to get closer to your goal? All the while you're beating leukemia and you're beating lymphoma. Crazy. It didn't know I was beating leukemia or lymphoma. I was just doing this thing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't enlist my father, uh, other than he's uh, he's climbed almost every mountain. Well, not almost. He's climbed every mountain on the West Coast wow. many, several times. Uh, Mount Hood, the tallest mountain, he's climbed like 30 times. Oh, my God. Uh, and he's run most of the world's major marathons. So uh, you guys would hit it off. <laughs> and uh, he's just a world class, was a world class adventurer. He's 88 now. And he was in, I don't know if you've heard of Hood to Coast. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was in on the ground floor of that uh, uh -huh. and uh, had a lot to do with uh, getting that organized and computerized at the very first. Uh, it's a long story, but he's really good at breaking things down into stages. And so when I got serious about this thing, I sat down with him and said, hey, could you help me break 187 miles down into stages? He's like, oh, no, I don't need you. I'll just do it. And so I'm like, okay, thank you even better. Uh, and so he got to working on that. And we, in order to swim a river, when you're face down, you can see about five, 10 yards ahead and about a quarter mile ahead. But danger's always in between those two zones. So you have to have a kayaker to help you pick the line, warn you if things are coming, warn boaters if there are boaters on the river, that sort of thing. And so we had a series of six because we knew it was going to take probably three weeks or so. Nobody wanted to take that much time off work and especially on a volunteer basis. And so uh, that's what we had set up and we thought we had it all going. And then about six weeks before the swim four out of the six dropped out and i was just like oh my gosh what are we gonna do and he came to me the next day and he's like hey i got an idea about the guide boaters i'm like and he, he actually sounds like that um i said what's that dad and he's like hey, i'll do it i'm like do what get new guide boaters like it's like nah he's like, like screw screw all of them <laughs> and he's a nice guy but that's how he talks like he's like screw all of them i'll do the whole thing I'm like, what? He's like, we only need one guide boater. That's I'm like, dad, you're 79. He's like, no problem. I'm like, dad, you've never been in a kayak. Oh, <laughs> <I'm> like, okay. 
so we started going out on practice swims, which I desperately needed anyway. And uh, he got the hang of it. And I got the hang of it. And because we knew each other so well, uh, we got into this beautiful rhythm. And it, it just, it was one of the most miraculous gifts I was given from that whole journey. The hardest challenge was the cold because yeah. it was 42 degrees. And even with the three mil wetsuit, I'd go into pretty deep hypothermia, what they call thrombosis. Okay. Within about 40, 45 minutes, uh, he'd make me pop up and he'd ask me a couple of questions. And if I was slurring my words or having a hard time thinking, <laughs> uh, he, uh, he would get me out. And then after swimming for 45 minutes straight, I'd have to jog in place or do jumping jacks or run in place uh, in order to warm up and then get in and do that again uh, for eight to 10 hours a day. Yeah. You kept going at it, man. You just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the way to answer your question more specifically the way I was able to do it was not thinking of the whole 187 miles. I We had it broken down into daily stages. I would only think, and this is a great way to live. It taught me a lot about life. I make my plans now, but I really don't think even two weeks ahead. I've made my plans. I've, I've knocked out a schedule. And then I think about that day. And then even when I got in the water, I didn't think about the whole day. We had broken down 45-minute intervals, and I would just swim and try to keep going until he would say, hey, it's time to get out. And that always seemed like it was way longer than it should have been. <laughs> well, what a, what but a, that's, that's, what made it, that's what made it happen. I just did it one 45 minute segment at a time pretty soon my day was done we'd go celebrate have some fun then i'd eat eight to ten thousand calories um and uh sleep till seven o'clock the next morning we'd try to get in the river by eight nine o'clock and do it all over again and you didn't stop there you had other challenges that you worked on uh and have accomplished and um, and then, of course, you've written a, a book. Tell us about the book. Um, what prompted you to write it? Uh, how much satisfaction did you get out of that? Did you get as much out of the uh, 187 miles uh, with dad in the kayak uh, pushing you along? Or, or um, what was your, your, your train of thought as you went through that process? Yeah, um, it was a wonderful process because... Uh, the river healed me and I learned so much, not only about how nature can heal you physically, but I, you know, when I got in the water, I couldn't say my wife's name without crying. When I got out, I was able to, without even thinking about it, my family caught me. I was telling a funny story about my wife and they all looked at me funny. I'm like, what? And they you, said, you, you haven't. You haven't said her name for four years. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought, oh, okay. So it, it it being in that flow and on the water and uh, in tune with nature really helped heal my grief and my trauma. Okay. And I wanted this for my daughter. 
So I took her to Ireland in 2017, and we worked with the Childhood Cancer Foundation there uh, because by then I was cancer-free. And uh, I swam Ireland's longest river, the River Shannon, and she was my guidebook oh, that had at awesome. 24. And man, she learned things about toughness that I had hoped she'd learn, but it wasn't easy. And she did an incredible job, but it also helped her with her grief as well. I see. And we met the Irish. I don't know. Have you ever been to Ireland? Well, as, as fate would have it, my, my bride, who's 100% Irish, and I are going there next May. So I'm really, uh, oh, really excited. Got it. And please don't just do the tourist thing. We're not Hang going. out in some pubs and talk to them. Get the people, once they know you're not just a fly-by-night tourist, they will pull you in. And pretty soon, they'll have you in their home with all their relatives. They <laughs> are just the most friendly, most wonderful people I've ever met. And if it wasn't for them, I don't think I would have been able to do this thing because it was 10 times harder than the Willamette. Wow. But uh, that helped heal her. And she made so many friends that she stayed over there. Then she found out that uh, if you get an accredited graduate program overseas it's usually about one-third the cost that it is here in america and so she stayed in dublin for the next two years and got her master's in creative writing and so i'd been poking her with the stick john for several years especially during lockdown hey write this story before it's gone and we had about three different uh tries at it and just nothing really got us that enthused and then she found out a technique called braided interview where you interview each person and then you fit those together as the narration so she talked to all of us that were involved and then each part of the story she would pull in that part of the interview. So it was like we were all sitting around a room having a conversation. Gotcha. And to me, that felt so much more authentic because I don't impress myself that much. <laughs> and I'm not a big fan of me. <laughs> and and so it felt more authentic because if if I I could not have done this without the help of everybody with my team, particularly my parents. And so to get their input and their voice and hear their adventure, I think it makes it more authentic and more real, but it also, it's not just, I'm not at the center and it, it took away that kind of braggadocio feel that many adventure books have. Like yeah. I'm some great guy. Cause I don't believe that at all. I believe that I was given a gift. I followed my purpose and my passion and I accomplished this big dream. And if you do what I did, you'll get what I got. And you being you, John, Mr. Ultramarathoner, you'd probably do it better. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I, I so believe in what you just said about, you know, purpose-filled life is a life that's really well-lived. And I know Helen Keller uh, said oh, that yeah. much, and I've quoted her when I've given speeches and what have you. And I yeah. believe that, and you've done that because you you write a book about uh, you know the wild cure. You write mm -hmm. 
you go after uh, how by the way how long is the river shannon oh it's 180 miles that's 180 miles my goodness so you yeah and it was almost all lakes there was no current oh my god two of the three of the lakes were considered inland seas uh 18 miles wide and 20 miles long or more and uh it was just 23 out of the it took me 25 days to do this one and out of that 23 of the 25 days had a 10 mile hour headwind or more and a lot of people don't know it but if you get more than a 15 mile an hour headwind it pushes the first two feet of the river in the direction of the wind so I was just clawing for every inch of this 180 miles. And uh, sometimes the winds got so bad on these inland seas that uh, all craft, not even small craft, but all craft were forced off the lake. And uh, there was one time on Loch Derg that we were going up five, six foot rollers. And it was like, where's my daughter's name is Bree. Is like, where's Bree? Where's Bree? Is she okay? Is she okay? I'd crest. Oh, she's fine. Boom! Face slam into the trough. And then, where is she? Is she okay? Is she okay? And I did this for two and a half hours. I ended up with uh, cuts here where my goggles, I face slammed so many times. Come to find out, she was having the time of her life. <laughs> she was like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, is she okay? <laughs> <laughs> what you've done is just it's just incredible and i just i love the fact that you went off on the first swim with that you know wanted to see what i made of kind of a theory in your head and mm -hmm. i mean my god it changed your life it it, it got yeah. rid of, not didn't get rid of grief it abated the grief and and Much. You changed as a person and then um you know you write the book and you, you as a life coach you inspire so many other people i just think it's it's fantastic what you have done. And and I also want our listeners who don't go on Instagram to know that you've got an Instagram channel. You've got a lot of folks that do pop, uh, pop in and see. And and you're always talking about, you know, it's I, I'm a Wim Hofer myself. So you're, Are you? Okay. you know, the, the cold therapy, I got a pod right outside my window here. I'll, I'll really you. After our interview and I'll get my plunge for the day. Um, and I, haven't you noticed, John, how all of our friends our age they creak and groan and gripe. <laughs> and guys like you and me, it's, I don't know about you, but I feel like I, I'm 30. Yeah. And, you know, I'm hardly ever tired, hardly ever sick. And I don't wake up terribly sore like I need to oil my joints. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just been the best thing. It is. And I think it's all about getting back to the whole uh, we must uh, make ourselves uncomfortable and and. Right through our uncomfortable state of being um, it enhances our life in other areas. And, and for you to attempt and then to, uh, and to do it twice, both Willamette and Shannon, absolutely spectacular. Dean, I, I really take my hat off to you, but your Instagram page is Dean, uh, Dean Hall official, correct? Right. Okay. And I'm very active on it. It's about the only thing I'm active on. Uh, I've made it a promise uh, to myself and to those, if if you take the time to DM me or even comment, uh, until I get so many, I just can't keep up with it. And it's kind of getting to be like a full-time job, but I will answer everybody that 
uh, messages me. I think that's awesome, Dean. And, and I'm so glad that, cause I was following you and, and I said, man, I'd love to uh, talk to this gentleman. It's very easy to set up our interview. It was great. And I feel like I found a, a, a new friend. So uh, even though we're thousands of miles uh, separated from one another, um, uh, I find, I feel like I've, I have a kindred spirit. So all the yeah. best to you, Dean, as you, as you move forward. Again, the name of your book, uh, it's called what? The Wild Cure from Death to Life on Oregon's Longest River. Fantastic. Yeah, and it's really important for your readers to know, I'd never heard of Wim Hof. I'd never heard of cold water immersion. I was just doing this thing because you got to remember, it's 2014 before the big Wim Hof craze yeah. here in America. And uh, I had no idea that the hardest thing in this whole swim facing the hypothermia constantly was exactly what was healing me. Yeah. And it, and it did. And, and we've, we've, uh, we've seen instances of that. And I, I've, I've seen the test results when they, when they uh, over in, I think over uh, uh, somewhere overseas, uh, they stuck him in this big glass, you know, uh, aquarium, if you will, with just ice yeah. around him and checked all his vitals it's it's absolutely amazing what that can do. I just love doing it. Uh, you know, cold showers, cold plunges. I was so excited. I went to uh, the Clarion River with my son and my daughter-in-law a week or so ago for a long week. And all I could think of was every morning I'm going to go out in the Clarion River. And it was pretty cold. It wasn't your 40 yeah. degrees. Will yeah, last, yeah. I'm going to go out there and sit there for five minutes and enjoy myself and then go hike the hills of uh, Western Pennsylvania. Can't beat it, my friend. Dud. Nice, nicely done. Yeah, it's just, there's nothing like it. And I think if anybody were to learn anything from us two old guys, is that if we can do it, they can do it. And the reason I believe we're all so depressed, anxious, addicted, whatever, is because we live in these concrete jungles, and we're not in our natural environment anymore. If we make a an effort to connect with nature getting in the rivers and lakes getting out in the forest uh one of the things i've found is it not only heals you physically but mentally uh, i go out every friday and spend the entire day out in the mountain hood wilderness and then i'll get in a glacier fed stream just as kind of the capstone and celebration uh before i leave and Man, I walk out of there, no matter how stressful my week's been, I walk out of there feeling reborn. Well, I feel like I've been reborn just chatting with you. Thanks very much. <laughs> all, all the best to you, my friend. And I'll be in contact with you uh, as we move forward. Really enjoyed our chat. And I hope our- Oh, I did too, John. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to Dean. Great conversation. Absolutely adored the fact that he has this type of an outlook on life that is so life-affirming and so positive. And it all was born, if you will, out of some very, very dire uh, situations in his life. Just wonderful talking to him. And I hope you check out Dean Hall Official. Is That's his Instagram page, as it were. Oftentimes, you'll just see him sitting in uh, the middle of a bubbling stream of very cold water in the mountains of the Pacific Northwest and uh, dropping little jewels of wisdom, 
about life and having a positive attitude and attacking life head on. As always, gang, subscribe, rate, and review. It helps the algorithms with this crazy podcast world that I have been living in since I retired from 42 years doing the sports every night on Fox 8 in Cleveland, Ohio. Retirement's a ball, and I even get out in the water myself. Everybody have a great day, and we'll see you the next time on Tell Talks.